This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. This is both the amazing and terrifying aspect of this. This is, you know, this is open source software. You don't have to ask anyone permission, which is fantastic if you're going to use it for good. Um, it's terrifying if you try and weaponize this and use it for bad. That's Jason Potts reflecting on the fact that blockchain technology is a tool that can be used for good, but like many things, can be weaponized and used for all kinds of terrible things as well, and that this should increase our awareness of security and ethics. Jason is my guest today on Central Station. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik. Jason Potts is a distinguished professor of economics at RMIT University and co-director of the Blockchain Innovation Hub at RMIT. He'll also be a keynote speaker at the 2021 Association of Independent Schools New South Wales ICT Management and Leadership Conference. In part two of this discussion, we take a look at where Bitcoin actually comes from and what impact that makes in a global economy, which is making a historic shift to the internet. And how will young people's perception of currency and money change as this technology develops? What does all that mean and how can they prepare themselves for it? So my question then is, if those Bitcoins are assigned to you because of your mining operation, but yep. the number of Bitcoin are fixed, yep. All right. So, where, do, where do they come from? <laughs> right, so are, they come from the protocol, and this is the this is the, the the magical part here. So, Bitcoin is software, right? It's a software protocol. Um, that protocol specifies a whole lot of things, including these operations. But in there, in that protocol, is a line that more or less says there will only ever be 21 bitcoins, 21 million bitcoins. Um, and every time a block is mined, at the moment, 6.25 are being issued. Um, 18 million so far have been issued. So we're, we're getting near the end. Um, in the beginning, it was 50 bitcoins for each block. Each block is mined about every 10 minutes. Um, after four years, they had the halvening, and then it was 25 bitcoins. Um, that took us up to about 2014. We had another halvening. Now it's 12 and a half bitcoins. Now we're at six and a half bitcoins for the next three years. Um, then it'll go down to 3.25 and, and all the way down. And if you add up, add those numbers all up, 10 minutes times four years times 50 plus four years times 25, and add that all up, all the way through, you get the last Bitcoin will be mined in the year 2140. <laughs> and it will return um, 0.0025 bitcoins, um, and that, that and from there on in, it's fees only. But mining is basically a, it's it becomes you get the reward becomes less and less um, each well, each four years the reward halve, halves, um, which is why we tend to see the price of bitcoin continually to ri- continuing to rise. Okay. All right. So this is starting to make a little bit more sense now because when you talk about a time frame of two thousand one hundred and forty. That's that's a long time away. It's a long time away. And if I think about, like, if we think about how far we've come in the last hundred or so years, if you know the change that we might experience in the next hundred years, well, that's unfathomable, right? We'll probably be sitting on Mars. Um, (laughs) So, if Elon Musk has got anything to do with it, (laughs) my friend Elon. Um, So, given that time frame, would it be therefore reasonable to think that what we're seeing now, and this is something that students, younger people might like to be thinking of, is that many things are on the internet. We do a lot of things on the internet, but this is a the, the beginnings of a wholesale shift of everything to the internet. Like the, our entire economies, our entire financial system is just the internet. 
Well, and that is exactly correct. So this is, and this is the this is the economic argument. When people are investing in Bitcoin, this is why they are doing it. Um, so we've had an industrial economy for 300 odd years. Prior to that, we had a feudal agricultural economy. Mm. The thing about an industrial economy is that we have governments running all of the basic economic infrastructure, money, law, providing registries for property, um, providing you know, court systems and injustice, um, property rights, money, contracting, um, they provide company, you know, the, the infrastructure. So all of the sort of base layer economic infrastructure that you need to build an economy with for making payments, for, for providing property rights and ownership, for organizing cooperation between people, companies, in order to hold, to, to do things, um, providing market infrastructure and public goods, roads, bridges, ports, and so on. In an industrial economy, those things are physical and real and provided by government. In a digital economy, a lot of that moves to the internet. Um, and this is, this, is, this is where we are now. Um, the internet's been around for quite a long time. We're about 50 years deep into it, but really only in the past 30 years has, it been, has there been a commercial economic internet, companies on the internet. Um, but only for the past five years has money, 10 years, has money moved to the internet. Yeah. Um, the internet prior to 2009, you know, just think Google and Facebook and so on, was big companies. You had to trust those companies when you want to buy stuff on the internet. Um, when you buy things from Amazon, you have to permission your credit card, Visa, to talk to your bank, ANZ, to interact with um, Amazon as the platform, which will interact with a company to do the thing. Um, those are all, that's all industrial economics with a digital veneer over the top. What blockchain does is it gives us, for the first time, base layer digital economic infrastructure, money, assets, property rights, contracting, organizations, these are DAOs, um, property rights as NFTs. Um, so a whole lot of the just, this is what's happening now. Now we're, we're very, very early in this. This is still experimental. It's, you know, it's Wild West. It's the, um, you know, the, the, there's a, this is the students generation right now are going to be building the, this economy. Yeah. Um, we're handing them the tools to do it, but it's up to, you know, which is why we're seeing so much excitement in, you know, uh, I, I go to a lot of, I mean, I, I interact with a lot of blockchain crypto people and companies and so on. And what has struck me right from the start is how young they are. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Wildly <laughs> ambitious, um, incredible, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds building these companies. Um, and they're doing it because they immediately get it. They just, they're digital native. They immediately understand what's going on. Um, all I need is a laptop and ability to, to you know, um, well, and, and, and at least one of my friends has to be able to code and off we go. We can, yeah, we can, we sure. can, we can start building the, the next generation banks, the next generation sort of you know, economic infrastructure. So that's what's going on right now. So um, that's the, so I mean, your, your initial assessment of the economy is moving to the internet is absolutely true. But the point I want to make here is the specific way that's happening is the base layer economic infrastructure the digital infrastructure is for the first time appearing on the internet as digital money. That's the cryptocurrency. Um, digital contracts, that's smart contracts, that's Ethereum. Um, DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. Those are things you can build on Ethereum and other sort of other blockchains with smart contracts. Um, that's companies, money, 
markets, platforms, um, and so on. So, you know, we're in the middle of a shift. We're, we're living in both worlds simultaneously right now, um, which is why it's interesting and confusing. But the, the, the sort of, you know, we started this conversation with the, with the Bitcoin in the year 2100. Um, what that looks like is we need something to be gold in this new digital economy. Yeah. We need a yeah. base layer store of value that just is stable and sits there and just doesn't change. When you put something in, it stays there like gold. And then you pull it out 50 years later, and it's still there. Um, we need that sort of base layer infrastructure. That's the bull case for Bitcoin. Um, the, the bear case for Bitcoin is we might come up with something better. Oh. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> Bitcoin's got network effects. It was the first one. It's secure. It's solid. It works. Um, you know, I'm I'm long Bitcoin for that reason. Um, but again, history of technology, um, history of the world indicates that nothing is certain in this space. Well, let's come back to the perception then of a student as they start to engage with this. Um, and something that I'd really like to try and get my head around here is that we talk about one Bitcoin being worth, say, 50,000 Australian dollars or whatever it happens to be right now. It's reasonably close to that, I think. Um, at what point, though, do younger people... And look, I know that this is largely just a question of exchange or rates of exchange and how we think about currency exchanges. But I just wonder, when do we get to the point where we don't say that one Bitcoin is worth 50,000 Australian dollars, but young people start to say, I have... I have Bitcoin and that's all that matters to me. Yeah. No, no, I think um, we might get there sooner than we think. So it's, you know, currencies, you know, the Australian dollar, the US dollar and so on, the euro, they always feel like they're permanent and forever, but they're not. Um, the euro is less than 20 years old. Um, prior to that, there was a whole lot of national European currencies, the lira, the Deutschmark, gone. Yeah. Um, um, the US dollar dates from... Um, early 20th century, it hasn't been there forever. Um, and again, the Australian, you know, so um, money's currencies, are, you know, at any point in time, it feels like everything is natural and normal and denominated in that. But I, I think we will start to shift to Bitcoin. I mean, the thing about Bitcoin is it's global. Um, it exists, it doesn't exist in a country. It's not, a, there's not yeah. the Australian Bitcoin and the American Bitcoin and the you know, Papua New Guinean Bitcoin. There's just Bitcoin, it's on the internet. Um, so as more and more of life moves to the internet, um, it's a natural unit of account. Um, as more and more people hold it, it becomes a natural unit of account. So you know, I, 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 um, I think we'll get there much sooner than we think. But it, <laughs> yeah. it might not just be Bitcoin. I mean, a lot of you know, anyone in the gaming space knows that in-game currencies become a, a way of thinking about you know, transactions within a within a game space. Um, so I, I think you know, you know um, it might be not just Bitcoin as a way of thinking about it. It might be different cryptocurrencies as a way of thinking about transactions and value in different aspects of life. Is that why? Okay, this is. I've got to try and get my head around this now. <laughs> this is pretty deep stuff. Is that why something like? a digitized sovereign currency. So let's say Australia says, all right, we're a sovereign nation. We can print our own currency. We're now going to make our currency 100% digital in a kind of crypto digital currency yeah. thing. But what, 
Central what, bank digital currencies. Yeah. So what you're describing yeah. to me though is digital currencies or cryptocurrencies that do different things. Is that yeah. one of the limitations as to why the Australian dollar couldn't just be digitized and 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 that's it? Well, no, we can we can and we will digitize the Australian dollar. That's a really valuable, useful thing to do. Um, so the, the um, central bank is working on that project right now. Um, but the thing about making it digital, and this is where we started with open source software, is once you make something digital, what you've done is you've turned it into code. Once you've turned something into code, it's not just a number representing a unit of account. I can put software in there. I can make that programmable money. I can make this do things. Now, one of the reasons that the central bank, the Australian government would want to do that is I can build the welfare system with this. I can now just drop money into your account and um, constrain what you spend it on. I can make it right. make the money only work if you spend it this way, but not that way. Yeah, sure. Um, I can make it disappear after you know a year. I can you know, which means that encourages you to spend it now. Um, so, programmable money is a, is the next. I mean, that's that's the reason that a central bank and a government would want to move to digital money and use that as a way for you know, using that for force for good for their for their citizens but they could also use that that's now surveillance money they can yeah. see every transaction you make yes now the tax department would love that that's that's the best possible money in the world from the tax department's perspective um tax department hates cash because they can't <laughs> see what you're spending it on. Yeah. Um, so they want digital money so you know there's um digital money digital money can be used as a surveillance money. Digital money can be used as a programmable money to you know, dramatically increase the efficiency of the welfare system. Instead of waiting weeks for money to appear in, you know, in a check, like um, Australia doesn't really have that problem, but the Americans went through this, this sort of nightmare of, of this urgent need for the government to push stimulus money out and they posted checks in the yeah. mail. It was medieval. Um, so, you know, so, so again, there's, there's reasons to do that, but. That's a central bank digital currency. A cryptocurrency is the same thing, but no one is in control of it. It's a protocol. It's, it's not controlled by a government or a corporation. It's just, it's a, we, the community of users have this, this, this money and we decide what we're gonna do with it. Now, a lot of that is happening in the DeFi space right now, where you've got communities of users building their own, spinning up their own currency, um, and then deciding what the money is going to be for and what you can do with it and making it programmable and, and all sorts of things. So um, what you're seeing here is innovation, this tech innovation um, in a space that we've never seen innovation before. You know, money is just money, right? It was just, it's just notes and coins and it doesn't do anything. You just give it to someone and they give you something back. Um, innovation in the industrial world was cars and trucks and planes and you know missiles and, and, and electronics and so on. Just things that just got better and better with time. Whereas all of our institutions, our money, our property rights systems, our infrastructure, our identity just sat there unchanged for hundreds of years. What blockchain enables us because it is software is that we can bring the full force of open innovation into that space. And anyone can. Um, and this is the incredible thing about the blockchain space is no one needs to ask permission to make a new money. Just, you just download some code, <laughs> write your name on it. There it is. <laughs> That's um, got to be appealing. <laughs> well, it is, and it is, right? Now, yeah. if no one uses your money, it's not very good money. It's just yeah, know, sure. it's software. Like for it to be money, it has to. you have to build a network, um, which is interesting because some of the most successful cryptocurrencies 
are ones that have been able to build social networks through means, right? They've, they've used social media capabilities and powers. Dogecoin is the perfect example of that. Um, it's a cryptocurrency that was memed into existence. So it um, seems to me, like I was going to ask you whether young people should be concerned about security with cryptocurrencies. Yes, that, they should. Absolutely. Well, the the as I was thinking about the question, I thought, is it really more a question about or less about the security of it and more about the ethics of it in terms of what people can do with it or what they might be inclined to do with it? Because as you say, that it is a programmable money. It can be yeah. made to do certain things. Yeah. Now, this is um, this is both the amazing and terrifying aspect of this. This is you know, this is open source software. You don't have to ask anyone permission, which is fantastic if you're going to use it for good. Um, it's terrifying if you try and weaponize this and use it for bad. Um, but it's a there's no compulsion here. No one is being forced to use something. If, if something, so you know, what you've got here is things that the community likes and that people see value and tend to grow, and things that are obviously malicious or or you know or people can figure out whether they're malicious tend to get shut down because people just simply stop using them. Now, you know, it would be better if we have if we can also bring you know, the forces of law and governance and we, you know, at the starting point of our conversation, regulation into the space um, so that I don't need to monitor this all the time and worry about am I being, mm. am I at risk here? Um, at the moment, the Wild West, the thing about the Wild West you know, from history was everyone was armed. You had to walk around armed. <laughs> you were free. You were free to do what you liked, but you had to carry weapons. As long as you had a couple right. of six yeah, shooters on your side, right? <laughs> so we're, you know, we're in that situation now. Now, instead of walking around with weapons <laughs> and, and pistols, what you have to do is walk around with a heightened sense of security, um, and that's and 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 you know have your um, you know sense of ethics turned up to eleven in, in this space. So. Now, what regulation does is limit the you, the need for you to do that. Yeah. Um, what it does is it trades off freedom. Um, we'll make you safer, but in return, you don't get to do as much stuff. So what's so, the best way? Are students listening to this or students considering what Bitcoin or blockchain must must be all about, they, they must have all kinds of ideas just whirring around in their heads thinking, wow, this really could be a very interesting future. But they still live in a regulated environment as we all do, what's the best way for anyone or for students in particular to get information about Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies? And the question I've got is there some kind of recognized trusted information source or is it a case, is it a case that the government would just perhaps wish that you didn't know about that? Well, look, um, <laughs> I'm glad you asked that and I'm going to do a little bit of self-promotion here. Um, here at RMIT University, we've set up um, what is the world's first um, entire bachelor's degree program on on crypto on, on blockchain? Um, so there's a number of universities are already doing this um, and, and sort of setting up these types of courses where, where you can study these these things in an approved and regulated way. Um, the way in which I learned about this, the way in which almost everyone in the space has learned about it, is you just dive in. Um, you go into you know every this is so new. Everyone's a beginner. Um, yeah. So. There's a lot of information out on the internet. A lot of it is good, um, um, you know. And the best way to sort of ensure that you're getting high quality work is to is to sort of sample widely, um, to to go to to um, to to channels and sources. You know, um, 
I find Twitter to be particularly useful um, as, as just a starting point. Crypto Twitter is it's kind of amazing. Each of the Bitcoin, each of the crypto projects tends to have their own media channels, their own sort of Discord channels or um, Slack. You know, just so, so, so there's a lot of sort of media channels in there that you can dive into. Um, there is a very large number of podcasts, and uh, I, I think podcasts are, are a very good way to sort of learn about the space um, or, or YouTube. Um, um, channels on this, but you know, there's there's no sort of one way into it. Um, uh, it. It's everyone, you know, it's all deep. You just dive in somewhere and just just start swimming, um, more or less. Is how it works. <laughs> so, I mean, that's but, an but that's an enormous. <laughs> An enormous step of trust, right? So if, you know, as, as a young kid, they go, right, I'm, I'm 13 years old or I'm 14 years, years old and I want to have a bank account. Well, there are the big four. The big yeah. four are regulated, you know, Westpac, Com Combank, et cetera. And you go, all right, well, I can go and open an account there. But if someone says, well, why don't you go and buy yourself, you know, a Satoshi? So no, a young person can't afford, you know, $50,000 for a whole coin. Um well, you can buy you just, fractions of a coin, obviously. So yeah, you yeah. Can, so you can, you can get involved in the space for for a few dollars. Yeah. So you you, you yeah. can go and buy buy a fraction of a coin, yeah. but you you don't have the equivalent of say the, the the big four banks to choose from, and so then you've got to look for an exchange, and then you've got to yeah. make those. I mean, it's. Well, it's, I mean, in, in Australia there are you know we have some very good exchanges in Australia. So I mean, I, I'll give a shout out to the one that the, that we work with. Um, called BTC Markets. They're very good. Um, you know, there are others that are also very are, are very good in this space. So you know, so there are um, crypto exchanges that you can that and and they'll usually guide you through um, through what's involved in that in that process. Um, but it's you know, there's there is a lot of learning. The learning curve is quite steep, and 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 you know, um, that's that's part of the um, just the the nature of, of a very new unregulated technology is that it is like that so um but um you know being young being smart but you know you're a learning sponge at this age um if anyone's going to adapt to this this, 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 is, our, this is our students well for an old bloke like me, <laughs> and me. It, re it really does sound a bit like the wild west and i have to say i've enjoyed being here i think this conversation has been fascinating uh, look, I really appreciate your time. It's really been quite an eye-opening conversation. Thank you again. And uh, all the best with your research. Look, absolutely my pleasure, Colin. And happy to come back and um, discuss this at any point. And um, if any students want to just reach out to me, I'm, I'm on the internet. Um, you can look up my email, jason.potts at rmit.edu.au. Um, I, I run the blockchain innovation hub here at RMIT University, I'm a professor of economics that, that has been studying this for a while. Um, happy to answer any of your questions. Thank you, Jason. That's, uh, that's fantastic. Diving in in a world of crypto innovation. Indeed, time will tell how this pans out. If this story resonates and you think a friend or colleague would benefit, then please share it with them. And for more information, you can visit the RMIT Blockchain Innovation Hub at rmitblockchain.io. And for more great stories from inspiring educators around Australia, make sure you subscribe to Central Station on your favourite podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Central. To find out more, visit the website, central.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Thanks for listening.